Are you ready to move forward after being ghosted? Are you tired of worrying, stressing, and struggling to find answers? If you want to regain control of your thoughts and feel more at peace, I have a solution for you. For less than the cost of one coaching session, you can download my new Take Your Power Back workshop. In it, my friend and fellow coach SDK and I will help you better understand why ghosting happens, ways to feel better now, and actionable steps to regain your power. Your purchase will also help support this podcast, so it's a win-win. Visit copingwithghosting.com and get your copy today. You can also find a link to it in the show notes. And now, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Coping with Ghosting, the show that provides hope, healing, and understanding for anyone who has been ghosted. I'm your host, Greta, and today I'll be discussing attachment and healing relational trauma with special guest Rose Vigiano. Rose is a relationship expert and attachment specialist who helps individuals and couples heal the past, break current patterns, and create the peaceful, loving, connected relationships they want and need. Welcome, Rose. Thanks, Greta. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with the basics. Could you please Mm -hmm. define attachment and share how it relates to ghosting in friendships and dating? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Thanks. So attachment, very simply, is just the psychological connectedness between people. It's sort of the lasting connections we have with each other. And initially, attachment theory was developed to speak about the relationships between parents and children or caregivers and children. But what we know now is that those initial relationships impact the way we show up in relationships for the rest of our lives and specifically in intimate relationships and in our closest relationships. So like if you think about having a go-to person. So when you talk about ghosting in friendships and in intimate relationships, if we have a very special relationship with a friend or we have a an intimate relationship that we're trying to develop or even in for a while, that's where our attachment patterns are going to come out the most. So there's four main attachment styles that we talk about a lot, secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So secure attachment is basically just what it sounds like. It's the ability to attach securely with others. And it basically comes from the fact that you got plenty of love and support from caregivers when you were growing up. They were super responsive. They considered your needs. They attuned to you. They did this at least a good bit of a time. You know, you felt respected, you felt seen, and uh, it was a very safe environment. And so when you grow up like that, you have the ability to do that with others. So the first thing I'll say about secure is that generally my guess is, is that if you are ghosting someone or if you are being ghosted, that person does not have secure attachment. So right away, because people with secure attachment, they're able to handle conflict without much drama, right? Because it was either modeled for them or they learned it along the way. Somehow they developed the ability to attach securely with others. So these are people who, when there is an issue, they're going to speak to it, 
even if the issue is, hey, it doesn't feel like this is a good fit, they're going to say it. They're not just going to disappear, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So then if you don't grow up like that, which many of us don't, myself included, then you will develop more likely one of the other attachment styles. So generally, when we look at folks that grew up and develop more of an anxious style, the love that they experienced in their childhood was like intermittent. Like they had it, but then it it disappeared. Like they had it, but then it was gone. So it was like they they it was like they knew Eden and then they lost it, you know? And so what happens is when you grow up like that, your battle cry for love is always on. So it's like when you're an adult and you have anxious attachment, it's almost like no matter how much somebody says, yes, I'm here for you. I love you. It's like, you can't feel it because you need more and more and more. You need that reassurance constantly. And when you don't have that reassurance, you go into like a state of panic. Okay. So I think a lot of times people who do get ghosted tend to be more in the anxious attachment camp because when you're an adult with anxious attachment, you tend to miss warning signs with folks. Like with ghosting, if you look back, you maybe saw that there were certain moments that predated the ghosting when you can say, oh, that time that they said they were going to call but didn't, or that time that they said they were going to show up and then never confirm plans, or the fact that they were late, or just the little things that you can see. But when we have anxious attachment, when we're in that place, it's like we don't listen to it because we're so desperate for that relationship. We're we're so afraid of the abandonment feelings that will come when that relationship goes away that we just ignore it right? We pretend like it's okay. And that sets us up really. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I feel like maybe you can identify with some of this. Is that true? Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Okay, great. Same. And you know, as I'm talking about this, the thing about attachment is that first it's fluid. It's really important to understand it's fluid. So When we are in one type of relationship with one type of person, we are going to show up with a different attachment style. So when we meet someone and we're going to talk about avoidant in a minute, who's more avoidant, guess what? That's going to ramp our anxiousness into overdrive, right? And when we meet someone who's more anxious, shockingly, we're going to notice that we may become the one who's a little bit more avoidant, right? And this can happen in friendships as well. And I think anybody can think about that. Like when you met, say say you do feel like you're more anxious and you're usually the one that wants more attention and wants more reassurance, but then you meet someone who's like completely over the top trying to hang out with you. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, or a date that you can see really, really likes you. And you're like, whoa, you know, I need you to back off as opposed to the guy. And I'm using this just as sort of, statistically, women often fall more into the anxious, but not always, very much not always. You meet the guy and he's very heteronormative also. And he's sort of like, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how available I am. I'm I'm not that, you know, I'm I'm gonna sort of hold my cards to my chest. And then it's like, wow, what do you think of me? Do you like me? You know, how do I get him? So anyway, that then brings us to more avoidant attachment, right? So the thing about avoidant attachment that's so important when you look at childhood, it's that folks with avoidant attachment 
generally they grew up in homes where they were left alone a lot. Mm -hmm. So they were left alone. They had caregivers who were too concerned with their own stuff, or maybe they didn't know how to attach emotionally because of their own history. And so when you grow up like that, you have no choice but be, to become independent, self-reliant, to become a person who figures things out on their own. Because when you're a kid and you're reaching out for love from a parent that can't give it to you, you have no choice but to say, okay, I'm going to stop reaching out because that's really painful. And I'm going to learn to give it to myself. And so just to back up for a second, you can also grow up in a home with a lot of enmeshment where a parent wouldn't let you be yourself. And this is really important when it comes to ghosting, right? Because if you grew up in an environment where a parent wouldn't let you individuate, wouldn't let you be yourself, and then you get into a relationship, let's say with someone who's more anxious and feel the intensity from that person who's a little bit more anxious, and it feels almost like that person wants to enmesh with you, you may go into a state, it's almost like a PTSD state and run. Alternatively, if you just became more avoidant because you always had to deal with things on your own, or maybe you only got attention when you were being taught something or when you succeeded or when you made the shot at the end of the game or something, then you just don't know how to work through issues. You never learned to develop the emotional vocabulary to say, hey, this is happening. I don't like this. Can we figure it out? Or, hey, this is happening. I don't like this. And I'm done with this relationship. So your sort of go-to is going to be just to leave, just to ghost, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have like the last attachment style just to lay it down, which is disorganized. And disorganized is the least common of the attachment styles. However, In my experience, most of us have a little pocket of disorganized in us. And like I said, the attachment styles are fluid. You have different of them, but you also have different styles within you. So it's not like you're 100% secure, 100% anxious, anything like that. You may be 30% secure, but also 40% anxious and 10% disorganized. Does, Does that equal 100? That's 80. We'll throw a little avoidant in there too. So with disorganized, you're going to show up with both anxious and avoidant traits in your adulthood because you grew up in a home that had a lot of fear. So you may have grown up in a home with active addiction, with mental illness, maybe one or both caregivers had rage issues. There may have been uh, some kind of abuse, either physical or sexual abuse or emotional abuse. And when that happens as a child, The people who you are going to for comfort are the same people that are scary. And that creates a tremendous amount of confusion and fear for the child. So it's like your main attachment figures that you're biologically wired to attach to, your safety and security system is telling you to stay away from them. And this is very traumatic for children. So when we talk about disorganized attachment, of which I had for a long time quite a bit of myself, this is really trauma. We're really dealing with like hardcore trauma. And this needs a lot of, you know, ideally professional help, a lot of work on yourself to try to not show up that way in relationships. Because what happens is when you don't treat it 
we show up with a tremendous amount of fear in relationships, a tremendous amount of fear of abandonment and fear of being engulfed by the partner. And this is like really hard to manage, right? Can you imagine? So you're like in a relationship and saying like, don't leave me, but also don't get too close. (laughs) It puts a big strain on it. And with more disorganized attachment, I could definitely see being a person who ghosts because you might get very overwhelmed by an interaction with someone, not know how to deal with it, feel very confused, maybe even go into a freeze state and then not reply, not respond, not reach out. What do you mean by free state? So with disorganized attachment, and actually, you know, it can be any of the attachment styles. When we become triggered from a place of our past, from a place of past pain or past trauma, whether it's big T or little T, we're going to go into one of the survival mechanisms that come naturally as humans. So freeze is one of them, which is is quite common with disorganized. I'm sorry. I thought you said free. Now I understand. Okay. (laughs) Freeze versus, okay. Totally. Yeah. A freeze state. That's my former New York accent coming through. (laughs) It's hard to understand me. (laughs) I hear you now. Now I live in California for 11 years, so you would never know. Got it. So they, you know, disorganized very often becomes very confused and frozen. So you might see something like a disorganized person or a person with disorganized attachment, something might happen in a relationship. They don't know how to handle it. They freeze, they don't respond. And then time goes on and then they become too overwhelmed with responding. And so they never respond or they never handle it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So ideally, with any of these attachment styles, and this is something that just secure does more naturally, we would wait before we respond. So instead of either going into a place of fighting or going into a place of leaving the relationship or saying something that we don't mean, we might wait until the part of our brain that's in the trauma response calms down and we can come back to the rational part of our mind where we can actually respond in the moment. I really appreciate your breaking this down for our listeners. And I just wonder how can people understand their own attachment style? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's really, really important. I actually just am finishing today a free download on my website, which is going to be called Know Your Attachment Style. So it works out that you're asking me this. Mm -hmm. So starting, you know, I'm sure by the time this is up, folks can go to my website and uh, download that. So that's a cheat sheet for you to just look at how you might have grown up and how you show up. So what I would do and what I talk about in this download is thinking about one relationship in your life, either an intimate relationship or a a really close go-to person. And then thinking about how you show up in that relationship, like not on your best day. You know, we all have great days where we're like, oh, I just, I dealt with that so well, no matter our attachment style, like I really was able to have that conversation or communicate a need or be there when my partner was upset. And then we have our bad days. And that's really where our attachment system gets ramped up. So of course, there's tons of resources 
online. And then there are a few books that are my go-to books, Mm -hmm. which I'm happy to share. One is called The Power of Attachment. And that's Dr. Diane Poole-Heller, who happens to be one of my main teachers. So I love that book that she wrote. And that book, it really breaks down the attachment styles. What may have happened in your childhood that would have created the attachment adaptations, what the current adulthood adaptations look like, and then ways to heal, right? So that's one book I love. Another one is uh, Wired for Dating or Wired for Love, which is Stan Tatkin. And he talks about attachment a little bit differently. He talks about it instead of anxious and avoidant, he talks about it as waves and islands. I love that. I know. I love it too. So but whether you're dating or in a relationship, his two books, Wired for Dating and Love, are really helpful. Ooh, I'll have to check those out for sure. Recently, you shared a helpful post called How I Knew I Was Healing My Relational Trauma on Instagram. Mm. And this is a type of trauma that rises from unhealthy relationships. Mm. And I'd love for you to share how each page of this post relates to people healing after being ghosted in friendship and or dating. So I'll just kind of walk through the pages. The first is I knew I was healing my relational trauma because I began choosing people based on how they showed up, how I felt with them, how I felt when we were apart and how close their words matched their actions. I stopped staying with a partner just because I had a fear of being alone. Thoughts like I'll never meet anyone else lessened. Oh, thank you. Thanks for reading that. It's it's interesting, the whole social media world. Like I, I really try to be as authentic as possible, both with my own experience and with what I've seen, because I feel like that's the way that mostly what we're looking for is knowing we're not alone. And I think that's one of the reasons why this podcast is so great. It can be so painful when you're ghosted. And, you know, it's just nice to know that there are other people out there that are experiencing this. And so I shared a little bit about having quite a big pocket of disorganized attachment myself because my mother, God bless her, who's passed, she struggled with addiction and passed as an active addict. Uh, She also had mental health issues. And so I very much classically grew up in a home where the person I most wanted to be close to, I also really feared. And so that created a lot of relational trauma in me. And so what would happen is as I grew up and started dating and looking for love, partially because I was looking to fill a hole that was created in my childhood, there were certain times when I showed up anxiously and certain times I showed up avoidantly, right? All with a lot of fear. That's what disorganized attachment is. But the great part about it is I can really relate to all the attachment styles because I've had all of them. And now I have quite a bit of secure having done a tremendous amount of work on myself over 21 years. And it doesn't hurt that I teach this stuff, which reaffirms it in my mind all the time. So the bottom line is when I really, really was like, okay, I need to change how I date. And this was years, you know, a number of years ago, thankfully, I had to start getting more focused on, do I like this person? 
how do I feel with this person? Not do they like me? Because anxious attachment is all about, please don't leave me. Please love me. Please tell me I'm enough. If you leave, that means I'm not enough. I'll never meet anyone again. That's a big anxious attachment phrase. At least it was for me. And basically, if I don't have a partner, husband, uh, my life doesn't look this way, then I'm not okay. And so I basically had to get more comfortable with being alone and really work with the thoughts around who I am when I'm single, right? Sing, whatever that means. I actually don't generally use that word, unpartnered maybe, because we're never single, right? We live in an ecosystem. We live in a world full of connections. And I have I have been blessed to have the best friendships. I have amazing friendships and I have cultivated them. So I had to let go of the idea that no one was ever going to love me, that you know I was never going to meet someone, that that everybody was a jerk. You know, these were all ideas I had to work with. And one way that I really did this was after a date, I would sit with myself quietly and I would really say, how did I feel on that date? And I would think about specific moments throughout the date and what the other person did. And I would say, how did I feel in my body when they said this or when they did this? When they made that joke, was it funny or did it hurt my feelings? When they told me about their past relationship, did it sound like they had showed up with dignity and grace? Did it sound like they had been respectful? If they were coming and telling me all these things that they hated about their last partner, Am I paying attention to that as a warning sign and something they haven't worked through? Or am I thinking to myself, well, I'm going to be different and they're going to love me in a way they couldn't love them. That's the kind of work that I did to get there. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information and for opening up here. I know that hearing about your journey is really going to help a lot of people. And I just found everything you had to say so fascinating and it's all such good advice. Mm, Thank you. My pleasure. Page two is I knew that I was healing my relational trauma because I stopped taking every rejection and breakup as a sign that I was unlovable. My worth isn't defined by someone else's actions, wants, or desires. I learned that each loss was triggering the core abandonment wounds from my childhood. And that's why I was so devastated when a relationship ended, even if it was toxic. Mm. Yeah. So what I didn't share was that my father also left when I was three and I never saw him again. And he was left slash kicked out of the family. I have a whole treasure trove of stuff from my childhood. So because of that, I really have a core abandonment wound, not just from the actual abandonment uh, from my father, but also because my mother was loving at times and unavailable at times. And so I was having a chronic abandonment throughout my childhood. And until you really start working through those wounds and healing them, every time a person in the present would leave me or would even just show us even a perceived rejection, 
And this speaks to ghosting a lot, like a perceived rejection, not even a real rejection. It would feel so painful for me that it would be like it was all happening over again. It was like the worst thing that could have ever happened, right? And here's an opportunity to talk about ghosting and perceived rejections. Sometimes what happens is if we're in a, an anxious place or a disorganized place, we perceive that someone is going to leave us. It's not even happening, but we've anticipated it so much in our mind that we see it just in the fact that maybe they didn't call one time or they didn't text back or they didn't. And then we make such a big deal out of it with them, right? We literally go crazy with them that then they really do disappear. So I had to take a look at who they really were, but also look at myself. And was I getting triggered from a place that really had nothing to do with the person who was sitting across from me? That's a really good insight to have. Mm -hmm. Okay. Moving on to the next one. I knew I was healing my relational trauma because I started speaking the truth of how I really felt in a loving yet firm way. If someone didn't like or respect my boundaries, it became easier for me to stick firmly to them and, if necessary, minimize the relationship or walk away. Wow. (laughs) Sounds pretty good, huh? I love this. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I just wrote this, you know, in a morning, just typed it all out. And I'm really happy that you and a number of other people found it so helpful. But Basically, this is very much related to anxious attachment and avoidant attachment is that when we have anxious attachment running the show, often we will make complaints about a person, but we won't ask for what we really need. And we won't. And if we do ask, we generally ask it with anger or we are not crystal clear on how the other person could meet that need. And with avoidant attachment, we won't ask at all. And we'll often get resentful that the other person isn't meeting the need, even though we never said it. Or we make it like we don't have any needs. We don't even know we have needs. And then we just decide the person isn't right for us because they're not showing up in the way we want when we don't even know what we need, right? Right. So I had to start to speak open my mouth and speak, even if it was messy and say things like, you know, honey, I noticed that I've been doing a lot of cooking and it would be really helpful if you also came up with some ideas of what we might eat together. So do you think that next week you could take over for Wednesday or Thursday and and I'll, I'll do Friday, Saturday? This is just, this is like more of a, an example from my current life, but even if it was, Hey, I noticed that we're, we're meeting a lot near where you live and we live, you know, 30, 40 minutes from each other. How about we schedule some dates near where I live? So it feels more balanced as opposed to what would happen in the past. We're always meeting by you. You're so selfish. Do you even think about me? Right. So that doesn't get you very far. Mm -hmm. So I had to be able to say that. And then once I could say that in this last example, then it, then I get to see, does the person hear me? 
do they, the next time they schedule a date or we're talking about a date or meeting up, if it's a friendship, do they say, oh, hey, you know, we just talked about how you wanted to meet near you. And uh, how about this thing that's going on there? Or how, oh yeah, we're going to go to a movie. How about we pick the theater near you? Or do they not listen? Do they not hear? And and do they make excuses for why they want to try to make it near them again? I mean, this is a little, this is a, a little thing, but it's not a little thing because it really speaks early on to, is this person listening to what my needs are? Am I listening to what their needs are? How are we showing up for each other? And once we know that a current perceived rejection or issue with a relationship is triggering our past, once we're able to unwind from that and see the person in the present, then we can decide, is this person in the present really worth me stepping in deeper with Or is it time for me to walk away or have them become just like a sort of a social friend? You know, we have all these friends that we can have, which are just like common interest friends. Like, oh, maybe we go shopping once in a while. We have a lunch. Maybe we see them in a group. I don't have to take those friends that seriously. If they're available, great. If they're not available, great. Either way, it's great, right? But with our, with my trusted people and with my partner, someone I would like to be a partner at some point or my current partner, I need to be a little bit more careful. I need to look more deeply. Does this person really deserve my trust? Can they be trusted? And can I be trusted with them? Can I show up in a way that they can trust me and that they feel loved and supported by me? Or am I so triggered by this relationship that I'm all over the place? So I might not be good for them and they might not be good for me, but I need to be able to look at that clearly. What you're saying is everything. So very, very helpful. You conclude the post with, I knew I was healing my relational trauma because I stopped blaming people for triggering me and began taking responsibility for the pain inside me that was getting activated by their behavior. Rather than what the other person did, I investigated why it bothered me so much. What unhealed part of me was getting touched? How could I care for and protect my younger self? So this card is really close to my heart. And I would love it if we had time to talk all about the inner child, but we definitely don't. What I can say is that we have certain wounds that are imprinted on us when we're very, very young, generally even like pre-verbal zero to three, zero to four. And, And that creates pain within us. We don't know how to deal with that pain unless we have caregivers that are really attuned to us, which like I said in the beginning, many of us don't. So when we don't have that caregiver help, we figure out ways to deal with that pain. We adapt. Those adaptations become our inner child's adaptations to how they deal with life. Those can also be called the attachment styles. So if my way of dealing with a conflict is to run and hide, That's a way that I adapted to that conflict as an older child and into my adolescence. If I learn to scream and yell, if I learn to fix that someone should 
um, that I don't want anyone to be angry at me. And so I'm going to try to fix it. Those are all adaptations I created in my childhood and my adolescence to try to deal with the pain of my younger self. So when I go out into relationships as an adult, I have to shield that younger wounded self from what the world is going to do and what people who have all their own pain might do for me. So for instance, if someone doesn't call, if someone doesn't want to go on a date, if someone says they're not, they're not feeling it with me, if, you know, a partner wants to break up, if, if a friend doesn't want to be friends anymore, my younger self, my little girl is going to be devastated because she is wounded and in pain and just assumes that this is about her and that she's not good and that she's going to be alone forever. But from my rational mind, from my adult self, I know this is just one person in the world. There are plenty of other people. It's going to be fine. I'm going to meet more people. I will meet someone else. I'll build an even better relationship. And so if I can take care of her, of the younger child, and let her know, hey, this isn't about you. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'm taking care of you. I'm giving you the love and the attention that you need. Then I can go out into the world as my adult self and build those relationships from a place of like present moment and rational mind. That makes sense. Good. Yeah. It's a big topic. It is a big topic. And I, I think this particular page is so important because it shows that we are responsible for our healing and that it's important to focus on ourselves and not to just go and analyze the ghost. And the questions, you know, the questions you asked here, like what unhealed part of me was getting touched? How could I care for and protect my younger self? These are wonderful questions to dive into with a coach, a counselor, Mm -hmm. a therapist. Definitely. Whenever we can get professional help who deals specifically with the type of topics that we're working on, I think it's the best. And when we can't, because unfortunately we you know, a lot of times it's not accessible to us financially or time-wise, then there are so many good books that exist now and workbooks and ways you can really take ownership and self-help programs, you take ownership in your own healing. Exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to share about ghosting or being ghosted today? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So firstly, I want to say that I think ghosting today is all too common. And unfortunately, while we go through generally most of us, at least 13 years of school, very often, you know, 17 or 20 years of school, we are not taught the basic relational skills that we need to be able to have secure, solid, loving, connected relationships in our lives right? So there is a major dearth in the type of education in relational wisdom that we need to really live a joyous and happy life. So because of that, a lot of people don't have the skills to work things out, to work things through, to communicate. And so they just end up disappearing. And this is very sad, both for them and for the person who was ghosted. So I would say whether you're someone who has ghosted in the past or you're someone who has been ghosted, It's a good idea to really 
take some time getting to know yourself, learn your attachment styles, learn how these things impact you, look at how you've been showing up in relationships. I know it's super hard to imagine that we might have a part even in being ghosted, but sometimes we do. Did I put pressure on someone? Did I act in a way that may have pushed them away? Did I avoid conflict until it got so big that the other person couldn't handle it? I always say that if you're the problem, there's no solution. But if I'm the problem, there's a solution because I can't fix you, but I can work on me. And so the first thing I would say is let's just look at ourselves, how we set ourselves up for the situation, or if we are the ghoster, are there certain skills that I need to learn so that I can communicate next time and just say thank you, but no thank you before just leaving so that I can feel good about myself and how I showed up. So while we're doing that work, as you're out there making new friends or or in relationships or dating... Take your time to really get to know someone. We do have a tendency to be like, oh, I like this person. Let's spend all our time together or everything's great. It's no big deal. Or this is my new best friend. And then it's like, we assume we know them. We don't know them because it takes at least six months to a year to really get to know someone. And then we jump in both feet, both arms, tushy, all of it. And then a few months later, we end up seeing something in them that we're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And it's just that we didn't give us enough time to get to know them. So really take your time getting to know someone. If you're dating, make sure you keep your life going, please. Like have a full life outside of dating so that if it doesn't work out or if this person does behave in a way that doesn't feel good for you, you still have a support system. You have all of your hobbies and and your passions and you're still focused on your own life. And then as you're getting to know someone, really ask about how they've handled situations in the past. Look and see if you can ascertain how they might deal with conflict in the future with you if it comes up. And all this comes to learning your attachment style and knowing your attachment style and working with your attachment style. Since that's what I work with is attachment styles and healing insecure attachment. I believe that through that, through working on healing your insecure attachment and showing up more securely, that you're really able to protect yourself and protect others from your own challenging behavior. I appreciate all of that valuable information. It's excellent advice. Finally, how can listeners connect with you? Yeah, well, I would love it if you could join me on Instagram at Awakening Relationships. It's a great space to learn more about attachment and to build secure relationship skills. You can also reach out to me on my website. And if you're looking for professional help, feel free to go to my website and fill out a request for a consultation. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you so much, Greta. It's been wonderful to talk to you and I'm so happy with what you're doing and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And listeners, remember when you're ghosted, you have more time to connect with yourself and people who have stellar communication skills. You deserve the best. You just deserve the best.